Hey, thanks for hitting that play button and making the decision. I'm gonna invest in myself today. This is Mike Signorelli, the lead pastor of V1 Church, and I am so excited to take you on a journey of freedom from comparison. So go ahead and take a listen to this episode and find out why so many people have been sending us DMs, texts, and messages saying, I'm finally free from comparison. And I'll see you on the other side with a very important message. Well, hey, welcome everyone. This is your lead pastor, Mike Signorelli, and you are having a V1 church service wherever you're watching right now. Can we just put our hands together and get this thing started? Come on, throw some clap emojis in the comments and let us know where you're watching from. We've got people watching from around the world and your family, wherever you're at. And you know how I know? Because you all flooded our connect groups. We had to break off into multiple women's connect groups. My parents are leading the Western European connect group. And so if you're watching right now and you're like, what is a connect group? It's how we do church on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And so sign up for a connect group and find a family, find a group of people. Our men's group's been jumping off and uh, it's been incredible. So this word that I have for you today, I'm just going to give you the title right off the top because I'm going to teach like some deep material today. I need you to lock in to take notes. No apologies. I'm not holding back on you. I want you to be free from the comparison trap. How good was last Sunday, by the way? My wife threw down it's like little like wisdom bricks, we call them. She's just throwing wisdom bricks right through the screen. So uh, make sure you take notes for today. This, the title of this message is Help Me See Me. Help Me See Me. Oh, it's going to be so good. It's going to be so good. Come on, somebody put in the comments. So good. So good. <laughs> okay, so turn your Bibles to John chapter 21. I'm going to read a pretty long passage, and I want you to follow along and try to create the picture in your mind while I'm reading it. So John chapter 21, verses 18 through 24, and you can follow along on the screen as well. And it says this, the scriptures say, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, now this is Jesus speaking to Peter, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Verse 19, then he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Okay, this is brutal. Let me keep going. Verse 20, Peter turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper. And he said, and this is Peter now talking. Well, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said, Jesus, watch, Lord, what about this man? What about this guy? Watch verse 22. And he says, Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, if he, if he just stays alive all the way till I come a second time, what is that to you? You follow me. Verse 23. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this, this disciple would, would not die. So they misinterpreted it completely. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is so good. Verse 24, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. So this is the disciple John, who is now an apostle. You like how he kind of puts in there the one who Jesus loves. It's like, you know, his favorite, right? 
um, just kind of inserted that in there. But here's the situation that's unfolding, because I want to put you in the context of these scriptures right now. You have Jesus telling Peter, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Oh yeah, and by the way, you're gonna die a horrific, gruesome death. It's gonna be really brutal. It's gonna be disgusting. It's gonna be really bad. Come follow me. <laughs> and Peter's like, wait, 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 what, what? Then he looks around and he looks at John. Now John's the one, another translation says that John actually lays his head on Christ's chest. So like imagine that guy like teacher's pet, right? So he's like, Jesus, Jesus, which one of us is going to betray you, right? And then Peter's like, well, well, hold up. What about that guy? Like what's going to happen? Really what Peter was asking was how's he going to die? Because see, this is what comparison does. It's not necessarily that we want what they have. We just want their situation to be as bad as ours. What he wanted Jesus to say, yeah, I'm going there. Come on, you can amen me. If you know what I'm talking about, just drop a comment and say, okay, here he goes. See, what happened was he was basically saying, well, what about John? Like, he's going to die a horrible death too, right? And now, now this is where you've got to know the person of Jesus. And I said, I'm going to give you some depth because we've got this reckless love of God, Jesus. Like we have this Jesus that, it, okay, if you didn't know this narrative, you'd be like, well, I know what happens next. Jesus says, come here, Peter. Let me give you a hug. You need a Jesus hug. Oh, come here, Peter. It's going to be okay. Yeah, you're going to die. John's going to die too. We're all going to die, but I love you, son. <laughs> but do you know what Jesus actually says instead? He literally tells him, if I want to keep, this is what he says, yo, if I want to keep John alive, now I imagine John's head is probably, and Jesus is actually hugging John. We don't have this in scripture, but he's probably like, hey, if I want to keep this one alive all the way until I come back, I can do it. What's it to you? He made it worse. Jesus didn't make it better. He made it worse. So then the question becomes, why would Jesus be so mean? Like, why would Jesus be like, hey, if I want to keep him alive forever until I come back, I can do that. But you're going to die a gruesome death because we don't write worship songs about that, Jesus. You know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> it's like when we sing about his goodness, we sing about his faithfulness. We really sing sort of these pseudo manipulative worship songs where we're like, God, do whatever we want you to do like a genie. You know what I'm saying? But we're not, but we don't sing songs of surrender that often in 21st century Christianity. And see what he was actually saying is, hey, do you want my will or your will? Because, and this is why Jesus didn't respond the way that buddy Jesus would respond. But actually the real Jesus was dealing with something inside of Peter's heart. And this is a little bit deeper because see what Peter's heart was infested with the disease of comparison. As a matter of fact, you find that as, as, as the situation plays out, there was always something in his heart that was like, I just need to know what's going to happen next. Think about Jesus causing him to walk on water. It was Jesus saying he called Peter out of the boat. Why? Because he was trying to train Peter as the disciples. Stop needing to know what's coming next. Because you, this is a faith walk. And then finally, when he can't get over the comparison of how everyone else is going to die, he says, well, guess what? I'll tell you what's going to happen next. You're going to die a really gruesome death. So don't be upset. It's coming. It's coming. The thing that you are afraid of the most is coming to you. Let that comfort you. What? The thing that you don't want to happen 
is going to happen. Let that comfort you. He was trying to kill that need for comfort that comes through comparison. He's trying to kill that need for comfort that comes through comparison and say, yeah, it's going to be bad, but I need you to trust me through it. You know, I'm going to give you a couple of things. You can write this down. Number one, comparison produces inferiority or superiority. In other words, I'll just break it down simpler, insecurity or pride. So when you see someone, you immediately do this. And every single one of us does this. You look at their clothes and you say, are my clothes better or worse? You look at their facial structure and the symmetry of their face. And you say, Am I be- is my face better or worse? You watch how everyone responds to them in the room and you say, do people respond to me better or worse? And we live in this realm. Number one, comparison produces inferiority or superiority. In other words, when you size up this other person, you either feel superior or inferior and you live in that space. Number two, comparison ultimately produces anger against God. Let me tell you why. This is gonna help somebody. You know, it's like we're going through this crazy economic downturn and you're having a conversation with someone. Hey, how's your business doing? Like, I'm getting rocked right now. Oh, that's crazy. My business is exploding in these times. And then what happens is you say, well, God, you gave me this, this purpose to build this business. So why are you blessing them and not blessing me? And so now the, we create this potential to be mad at God. So comparison opens up the door to be angry against God. I want to read you this for number three, James chapter 13, or James chapter three, verse 14 through 16. And we looked at this last week, but I want to take a deeper dive because this is my, my third point. Envy is actually the root of comparison. Envy is the root of comparison. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, oh, in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, it's sensual or unspiritual, and it's actually demonic. And then it says in verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Do you know, there's some churches that I have seen selfish ambition. It's not that I want to preach because the scriptures are a fire that shut up in my bones and I desperately need to get it to a dead and dying world. And I can't wait to see a harvest of souls for Jesus so he can get all the glory. Sometimes it's preaching because Pastor Mike, I've got my outfit all dialed in. And if I could just get that clip for Instagram, my name will be known. (laughs) Sometimes on worship teams, it's selfish ambition. You know, can, can you imagine how crazy it is for to be on a worship team and be like, I can't believe they scheduled her to sing my song. I have been in, it's real quiet right now. I've been in so many churches where people get territorial on worship teams because there's so much comparison and bitter, selfish ambition that they literally think that it's their song. And if somebody else sings, it's like, no, the last time I uh, remembered it was God's song. Like we're kind of doing this for him. And what's funny is, and I tried to explain this, and this is going to help somebody, but it's going to hurt because how many of you know faithful are the wounds of a friend? So if I wound you with the truth, I'm just being faithful to you right now. So stay on this broadcast. I've talked to people who try to say, Pastor Mike, I don't understand why my church won't grow. I, won't, I don't understand why my business won't grow. But I tell them the root of all of your behaviors is selfish ambition 
and you are violating a principle that God has put in place in this earth. And it's never gonna grow because God doesn't help us grow our own thing. He partners with us to fulfill his will. And so one of the things that we have to deal with in our heart is selfish ambition and comparison because it robs us of our destiny. I'll put it like this. If your goal is to make money for you, you'll have a hard time trying to get people to help you do that. But if your goal is to serve and to help others, money will be the unintended consequence of your service and laying your life down in sacrifice to them. Do you know that Steve Jobs' goal wasn't to be a billionaire? Steve Jobs was actually a computer nerd who said, what if I made computers accessible to people who don't understand computers? He was so empathetic. He was so understanding that he became a bridge builder and said, wait a second, a computer, and this is his famous quote, a computer can be a, a, a bicycle for your mind. So just like you can get somewhere further, faster on a bicycle, it just helps you, enables you to do something faster than you could do by walking. He said, if I can be empathetic enough, see even his ambition, he spent all that time in the garage with Wozniak, all that time building things. Even his ambition was not selfish ambition, it was selfless ambition. And the unintended consequence of trying to help people interface with computers that could have never understood him any other way was a billion dollars. And so many people are like, Pastor Mike, my thing's not growing. I'm like, yeah, because you're trying to help yourself. And in, the, in this world, helping yourself is the fastest way to hurt yourself. And if you get so much in that realm, you're missing it. Jeff Bezos, Amazon, you know what he actually said? Hey, people go to the store and it's chaotic and stressful. What if I sent the items to them? But then all of a sudden he began to increase in his selflessness and said, well, we can get it to them in like three days or four days. What if we restructured our entire organization so that we can get it to them in one or two days? See, the more he saw other people, the more he adjusted his efforts to help them, the more he could measure the impact. And this is a sacred way. And people who don't even know Jesus put these principles into action and they thrive in their life. And it's funny to me that church is often the place that we learn the most selfish ambition. But it's the place where we should learn how to be the most selfless because we are trying to live like Christ. In James chapter 3, verse 14, it says, where you see that comparison. Let me give you some more, though. It just, it's so demonic. It's crazy. In Psalm 106, it says that they had started to speak out against Moses and Aaron. And, and I don't know if you serve this kind of God, but I don't take a pocket knife to the Bible and cut scriptures out. In Psalm 106, it actually says the earth opened up and swallowed them because they were in comparison against Moses and Aaron. Isn't that crazy? Thank God he's kind of, we're in a new covenant. <laughs> in Mark chapter 15, it says, Pilate knew that they delivered Jesus up for envy. And so Jesus said this, watch, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And that's crazy that he said, this is your greatest command. Why? Because if you don't love yourself, you're gonna hate your enemy. You're going to hate your neighbor. You're going to hate the person. Like you have to start with finding that balance of selflessly serving others and yet trying to find your identity in Christ so that you can love them as you love yourself. 
So it's not just love yourself. See, the world is all up in this, I gotta learn how to love myself. I've gotta take a mental health day. I've gotta do me right now. Well, guess what? That's only half of the equation. It's actually love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so when you finish and balance that equation, you find true fulfillment. The world right now is love yourself. Okay, that's a great start, but love your neighbor as you love yourself. And there's something that will free you in that. Let me give you two solutions. Number one, the solution to comparison is acceptance. Accept who God made you to be. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 24 says this, which are more presentable parts do not require, but God has so composed the body that giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. I wanna just say that again, because it's something that I have seen true in my life. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 24 says this, but God has so composed the body, the body of Christ, that he will give greater honor to the part that lacks it. You know what that means? You'll be waiting for Pastor Mike to pray for your back to get healed. And God will say, well, there's somebody in the audience that lacks the grace and doesn't have that gift. So I will give greater honor to them and give them the ability to heal people's backs. See, it's like this crazy thing. I don't know if I was always called to preach in that sense. All I know is that I kept saying yes to anything Jesus would give me and tried to be a wise steward. And I believe that I was one of these people that received a greater honor where I lacked it. And that's what's beautiful about the body of Christ is that God will just give the ability. He'll give the grace. He'll give the honor to those who lack it in the body so that not any one person can boast in and of themselves. I've been in services where I've preached the most fire word that I've ever preached in my life. But God just gave a greater honor to somebody who was in the audience. An old church mom just released a word to a young person who was struggling and the tears begin to come down their face. See, God has a way of distributing honor so that we don't have to worry about being accepted. We've already been accepted and everything that we need is in him and of him. He distributes gifts as he wills for the profit of all. It's an incredible thing. It's an incredible thing. I've seen people spontaneously prophesy. I've seen them not have a word from God and immediately the word just begins to leap up out of their mouth. I've seen people pray for somebody and a miraculous healing takes place and the person praying for the other person is just as surprised as the person who received the healing. See, God will give a greater honor to whoever he wills. So you've got to first accept let me break down two words for you before we move on. Jealousy has to do with people. Envy has to do with things. Jealousy has to do with people. Envy has to do with things. So you can get into this place of jealousy where you say, well, I wish I had what they had. You know, you can get into this place of envy where you're like, I want a house like theirs. I want clothes like theirs. You know, and you have to guard your heart against jealousy and envy because it will cause you to get to a place where you do not accept what God's given you. You know, a lot of times people tell me, Pastor Mike, help me find my purpose. My question back to you is, do you want the purpose God intended for you or do you want someone else's purpose that you're viewing and you're envious of? See, because really most of us know our purpose. We just don't want it. We want someone else's. And so envy is when you want what someone else has. And so you've got to accept what you have. And it, it's just a weird thing. That acceptance will free you. I said this in the, in the beginning of this series. It's like first it could start as an insecurity. But if you go on the journey of becoming who God called you to be, in the end it could become iconic. 
I mean, some of the things that we make fun of become the idiosyncrasies that make them the individuals that we celebrate. It's like Michael Jordan is bald, you know, and it's just like then after he becomes successful, everybody starts shaving their hair. You know, it's just like we make fun of Mike Tyson's lisp, but also Mike Tyson is a world championship boxer and has accomplished an incredible amount of things with his life. There's even guitar players like the Rolling Stones guitarist plays without a string. It's like sometimes even the things that it felt like they were an insecurity or something that, man, how could I accept this? I, you know, uh, you have famous musicians that were not ever trained. They played by ear. Jimi Hendrix played by ear. And they look at themselves like I'm less than someone else when the whole world is trying to emulate them. So acceptance releases your true identity, even accepting the things that you think are liabilities. The next one is this, identity. You have to get a freedom. This is your solution. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. You literally make yourself foolish to compare yourself with others. The Bible says that we shouldn't classify ourselves. We shouldn't sort ourselves out and try to compare ourselves because when we do that, we are without understanding. Let me explain a word to you. Many Christians don't know this word, and I think it'd be great to teach it, especially to this new generation of believers. The word is covetousness. Covetousness. It simply means I want what she has or he has. I want his life because I don't like the one that God gave me. Covetousness is ingratitude on the highest levels. Colossians chapter three, verse 15 says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body. And then it says, and be thankful, be thankful. What are the things you can't control? Be thankful for your height. Don't try to strive to, to, man, I wish I was taller. I wish I was whatever. I wish I was shorter. Be thankful for the things you can't control. Be thankful for the way that your ears hang on your head. <laughs> Be thankful. Be thankful. Because covetousness will get your heart into this posture where you don't accept the thing that you cannot control. You know, in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, it says, For although they knew God, do you know God, worship team? Do you know God, those who are watching online and those who are, do you know God? So this is for you, right? For those who know God, the Christians, the believers. It says they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. They had a problem. This church that, that, that had to receive this original letter, the book of Romans, with being thankful. They knew Christ but they couldn't get their heart into the posture of gratitude. It was always about what someone else had and what someone else was able to do that was robbing them of their joy. I wanna give you just three things that will help you. Because the, this church, in, in, as they were receiving the book of Romans, there was something that the apostle was trying to bring into alignment. And I believe it needs to be brought into alignment in this era once again. Number one, glorify God. Glorify God, glorify God, glorify God. I mean, your body, this dirt vessel is temporary. It's temporary anyways. You fed yourself today, you'll get hungry again. You freaked out about your bills. You'll be freaking out again until you learn 
the posture of gratitude and worship and just saying, you're worthy, God. Even Jesus, you know what was said of Jesus? Foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. We serve Jesus of Nazareth, the one without a college degree, the one that never purchased a home. And yet sometimes we want more than the Savior ever had. And yet he was thankful. He accepted it. Glorify God. Focus on the creator more than the creation. Focus on the creator more than the creation. As a matter of fact, the more you have your eyes on the creation, the more carnal you are. That's what that word carnal means. But it actually says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. What does that mean? It means that the unseen actually should govern and regulate the seen. And so we've got to step into the spiritual dimension by glorifying God. Glorify means to magnify. Probably you don't know what that word means either because these are biblical terms that just sort of got lost in the last generation. But imagine you have a magnifying glass. Well, let me make it current. You pinch and zoom. Pinch and zoom makes something clearer by magnifying it. And see, we have to make a choice that I'm gonna glorify, which means magnify. I'm gonna pinch and zoom, and I'm gonna make Christ the biggest focal point in my life right now. I'm gonna magnify God. Oh yeah, yeah, cancer, it's a big deal. It's a top killer globally, but I'm gonna pinch and zoom and just magnify God over cancer. He's, he's more powerful. And I love how that scripture says, above every name that is a name. There's a hierarchy, every principality and power and every ruler in high place. Oh yeah, yeah, demonic rulers exist and there are principalities and powers and ruling spirits. It's all very real. But I'm gonna magnify God above all that. Goliath, he's big. But I'm looking, actually looks like I'm looking at him, but I'm looking behind him at my God. I've magnified him. He's so much bigger. Number two, be thankful. Let me give you a kind of like a, a, a way to join these words together as a compound word. Gratitude. What if gratitude is grace attitude? Grace attitude. You'll never have a problem with thankfulness when you realize that you've only ever responded to God's grace. Gratitude, grace attitude. Think about this. I love what Dave Ramsey says when people ask him, how are you doing? He's like, better than I ought to be. That's a grace attitude. I'm doing better than I should be doing. I mean, think about that. It's almost like we always feel like we deserve more, but grace actually declares, no, I'm actually a recipient of so much grace. I'm swimming, I'm drowning in an ocean of grace. I'm doing so much better than, I, you know, and why, why should it take a third world uh, missionary experience to, to refocus us? You know, why do we have to go see someone else's plight, right? Inferiority or superiority? Like, why do we have to see someone else? Why can't we posture our heart in such a way that says, God, on my worst day, I'm, I'm doing better than I ought to be. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the recompense, is something that we could have never paid, something we never could have earned. And number three is this, renew your mind. Renew your mind. Renew your mind. That's why you have to hit pause. I think one of the most maturing seasons that the body of Christ has ever been in is when God said, hey, for a season, let's cancel all the lights in production. For a season, let's cancel the social pressure 
that, you, that your friends are gonna notice that that seat is empty if you don't show up and they're gonna call you and ask where you were. Like, let's create a situation where instead of being extrinsically, extrinsically motivated, my true disciples are intrinsically motivated. Like, let's, let's create a situation where like, you have to choose to put this service on your phone. You have to choose to go to a watch party. You have to choose to worship. Like, Pastor Mike can't do it all for you in this season. You gotta mature. Like, you have to become what God wants you to become. Like, you could have turned this off. You could, you don't, nobody's gonna watch. You know, it's like in our services, the buckets go by and you're like, oh, if I don't give something in the bucket that somebody's, you know, like what happens when no one's watching? That's the kind of disciple you really are. And so we're gonna be the kind that say, I'm gonna renew my mind. This is on me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna renew my mind. You know, in 2 Peter, this is to me one of the most beautiful parts about this whole message. Help me see me. Peter was so worried about a martyr's death. Peter, matter of fact, as Jesus was experiencing his martyrdom, it was this little girl that was able to scare him so badly that he ran in fear. He denied Christ three times because he was so worried about what everybody thought. And he was playing that comparison game. And I think back to when Jesus said, hey, Peter, I'm just gonna tell you right now, I know that you struggle with bitter envy. I know you struggle with comparison. I know that you're so worried about what everybody else is gonna get, but you're gonna get a martyr's death and it's gonna be gruesome. And I actually love reading 2 Peter, where he actually says, hey, I'm going to Rome. I'm an old man now. Many years have passed. Jesus said, when I was younger, I would dress myself and I would choose what happens to me. But I'm older now. I've got some years on me. I'm going to Rome and I'm gonna die the way that the Lord Jesus said I was gonna die. He said, when you're old, they're gonna carry you to, to where you don't wanna go. And for over 30 years, historians say for over 30 years, Peter knew exactly how he was gonna die. And in 2 Peter, you get this account where he says, it's time. Man, I got chills all over me. I'm gonna go face it. And this to me is one of the most liberating thing. Now this is not, what I'm gonna tell you now is not recorded in scripture, but we have three historians that give account of Peter's death. And all three historians say that in the end of his life, Peter actually said, hey, I've been waiting for this moment. I'm gonna show my savior. I'm finally free of comparison because I'm not even worthy to die like he did. The most potent, powerful moment of freedom occurred when Peter said, guess what, Jesus? I used to be a lot younger and a lot dumber. I used to think that serving you is all about what it could do for me. But guess what, Jesus? I'm free from comparison. And he told them, hey, just make sure you don't crucify me like Jesus. This is my way to die. <laughs> this is my destiny. I know who I am. I've received my identity and I've accepted it. John, hey John, I'll see you on the other side. You're not the only favorite as they took his body and flipped it upside down and he died in the most honorable way possible. Not just a martyr, but a martyr who was free from comparison. What a powerful moment. Oh, to be like Peter. Come on, there's somebody maturing right now who's saying, I don't want their marriage for the first time. I don't want their marriage. I'm free to be me, I accept it. 
I don't want their story. You know, God will take you to a place where you, where you will actually say, I wouldn't even change my past if I could change my past because to change my past would actually change my present, which would change my future. I accept exactly every part of my story. I wouldn't change the pain because if I change the pain, it'll change my purpose. I wouldn't change anything. God, I don't want their will. I want what you have for me. Come on, is there somebody right now whose heart's crying out? I'm ready, God. I accept it. I accept it. I'm ready, God. I'm letting go of ambition, selfish ambition. I'm letting go of pride. I'm letting go of always fantasizing about it being another way. And I just want what you have for me, God. Freedom, freedom. Jesus knew that comparison was going to rob Peter of his ultimate calling. And he gave him wisdom through correction. Wisdom through correction. I want you to close your eyes right now. Just remove all the distractions around you. I want you to think about your story. I want you to think about all your faults, all your failures. I want you to think about all the moments where you have felt so inferior. I remember for me, I had a hard time being around people that had a different life than me. I felt so out of place. Normal felt awkward to me. Think just with your eyes closed right now. This sermon is entitled, Help Me See Me. Help me see me. Come on, would you just say those words out loud? Help me see me. Just say it one more time. Help me see me. God has a purpose and a destiny and a plan and a story for your life. The Bible says that he prepared you beforehand for good works. And I want you to just accept your story. Yeah, there's things that need to be changed. There's things that you can be better. But see, Jesus told Peter a part of his story from the beginning because he already knew. What if I told you that Jesus already knows it's gonna work out in your favor? What if I told you that Jesus already knows that you're not gonna quit, you're not gonna give up, you're not gonna kill yourself, you're not gonna run away this time? What if Jesus already, oh yeah, you've got some failures, but eventually you're going all the way. You didn't get this far just to get this far. Help me see me, Jesus. Come on, let me pray for you right now. If you've got pain in your body, put your hand on that place of pain. If you need prayer right now, come on. Remember I said that he shifts this grace into those who desperately need it. What if a healing gift was activated right now at a watch party? What if a healing gift was activated? I can't be in the room that you're in right now, but, but what if God just does it in and through you? What if the first healing you experience is your own and then you use that as a gift for other people's healing? I mean, things are beginning to happen right now. Go grab your children, bring them into this place. Come on, let's pray over your children. Come on, let's just begin to pray. Father, right now, every single person who's watching, God, those who have been just struggling with comparison, those who have been looking at someone else's life and missing their own. Father, right now I just pray that as they have their hand on that part of their body, that they would be healed in their body, that you would activate gifts of healing, that you would activate encouragement in those who are watching to speak into their family's life. And God, I just thank you that this time, 
We are moving in the direction of our calling and we're laying aside all the comparison. And Father, I thank you for freedom today in Jesus' name. Come on, shout it out around the world. Everybody just say, let it be so. Amen and amen. Wow, well, wasn't that an amazing message? Come on, I'm believing by faith that God has already done so many things in your life. The best thing that you can do right now is pay it forward. The Bible says the best way to get is to give. So give this message to somebody. Text it over to them. Hit that share button so that many more people can listen to this. And then if you'd be willing to help us out and reach more people, go ahead to and visit www.v1.church. You can actually join a connect group. You can give to us financially so we can continue to reach more people with the gospel. And many more resources are located on our website. It's www.v1.church. I'll see you guys next week.